We're going to be in Romans chapter 12 today for our continuation of spiritual gifts. As you know, uh, Paul has 1 Corinthians 12 as well as Romans 12 where he lists various gifts of the Spirit. These are the Spirit's manifestation of Himself to the church, ways that He empowers the church to serve one another, to edify one another, build each other up, and so glorify Christ Jesus. This morning, we're going to look at one speaking gift, that of encouragement, and the first of the serving gifts, which is giving. Now, if you're paying close attention, you'll know there's still one speaking gift that I haven't covered, um, and that of prophecy, and that's because I'm giving more attention and time to what that is. I think I have a handle on parts of it, And as I get into it, I feel like I don't have a handle on parts of it. And so I don't want to teach on it until I feel comfortable yet. So um, that's why we're going moving on to some of the other gifts. But in Romans 12, beginning in verse 4, let's pick it up there. Paul says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts or encourages, that's the word, in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity. Let's pray. Father, what beautiful gifts we're going to look at today. Um, In fact, I know all of the gifts reveal something of who you are. But these two gifts for me personally reveal such a tenderness, such a care about who you are. It's just endearing. It's beautiful. Father, you have given your Holy Spirit to be our helper, our encourager, because you care for us. Father, when it comes to giving, there's no greater giver than you. And so we, uh, we see that it is in the Scripture, you give because you love us greatly. So you give greatly. And how beautiful is that, Lord? I pray you encourage our body. Father, help our body discover what their gifts might be and then to exercise them so that we might just be full of joy, full of your presence, knowing that you are working in and among and through us to build each other up, and to help people come to know you through your gospel. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. The gift of exhortation or encouragement. I believe it might be one of the most misunderstood of all the gifts. And uh, as we get into it, you might see why I say that. I've I've come to think, I'm not going to be hard and fast on this, but I've come to think that For every true gift of the Spirit, there's always a worldly counterfeit. You know what I mean by that? Um, And I think that's definitely true in the two that we're looking at today, in encouragement and in giving. So let's get into this. The Greek word for encouragement or exhortation, as the ESV translates it, the Greek word is parakaleo, which literally means to call by one's side, 
was the idea. This, this is one of the speaking gifts. And so the one who is an encourager comes alongside to speak encouragement to another, to comfort, to admonish, even to rebuke is the purpose of this gift. The idea here is that um, encouragement biblically has a side to it that some of us don't like to see. All of us at times tend to be hearers of the word, as James says, and not doers of the word, right? The encourager biblically is one who comes alongside you to propel you on to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. So that's the biblical idea of encouragement. A version of this word, as I just prayed, is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16. It's Jesus' um, last uh, upper room address with his disciples before he's crucified, where in each one of those chapters he promises a helper will come to you. I will send him, right? He will help you. He is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, all these things. But the word helper there is the same version of this word. Um, and it literally means a comforter, a helper, one who comes alongside. So essentially this one gift, one gifted with this gift of encouragement is able to push us onward in doing what we know we should be doing. Which, as I said, we all need that at times. We all need a kick in the pants, right? Sometimes we don't need a kick in the pants. Sometimes we need a hand up. Sometimes we just need someone to walk with us as we're following the Lord. So in this way, the encourager builds up and edifies the body of Christ. The encourager themselves is able to perceive, is able to see areas in the life of a church, areas in the life of an individual, whether it's his or someone else's, where they need further obedience. So let me say this, what this gift is not. Okay, and this is why I think this is one of the most misunderstood gifts out there. What this gift is not is someone telling you what you want to hear. That's how the world thinks of an encourager. Sometimes what we want to hear and what we need to hear are two very different things. Would you agree? Yeah. So neither is this gift like the worldly type of encouragement I'll illustrate it here in a minute that we often see where um, the encourager in the worldly sense is one who just speaks kind of uh, kind, gentle words all the time. They, they ignore hard realities, hard truths, even contradictions in order to try and maintain peace with an individual. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you have seen the new Aladdin? Now, I apologize I'm illustrating with Aladdin, but we've been sick the last four days watching movies. Um, I was sick, and you know what? I watch Aladdin with my, my girls, all right? But oddly enough, the new Aladdin illustrated this perfectly. If you've seen it, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's a scene where Prince Ali comes into town triumphantly to meet uh, Jasmine the princess, right? And then he just stumbles through the court appearance. You remember that, for those of you who've seen it? And he just blunders. I mean, it goes from bad to worse. It's, it's hard to watch. And the handmaiden to the princess at the end of it, as she's trying to recover this blunder, she tells Aladdin, don't worry, you did great. And the genie says, you didn't do great. That was embarrassing. I've never been that embarrassed. <laughs> That's the perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. The handmaiden is the worldly type of encourager. He didn't do great. Don't tell him he did great. That was awful. That's not encouragement. That's lying. Okay. 
The genie in that sense would be an example of the biblical encourager. So, so that kind of shows what this gift is not. But what it is, the encourager, biblically, will always speak the truth in love, as Paul said. They don't seek to love and avoid truth. They don't seek to speak truth without love. They have it perfectly balanced. They always speak truth in love. They have your best in mind. And your best is always the truth. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says this, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. That highlights this, this truth of an encourager. Better is an open rebuke, one translation says, than love carefully concealed. Okay? Proverbs 28, 23 says this, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. The worldly idea of encouragement is flattery, really. It's not really encouragement. It's just flattering the person, always trying to build them up, even if what they're trying to be built up in is not really true. It ignores certain realities. Paul told Titus in chapter 2.15, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. And there, in Paul's passage, we have exhortation and rebuking linked. In other words, the rebuke was the encouragement. Okay? Sometimes the encouragement is rebuke. I want to tell you a story of Martin Luther. Everyone knows who Martin Luther was, the father of the Reformation. Maybe you haven't studied his life much. I haven't studied as much as I want, but Martin Luther could be kind of belligerent, melancholy, um, downtrodden, sour. You know the type, okay? Prone to depression. Um, and he was in one of these periods when his wife noticed, I'm tired of this, okay? So his wife did something really cool, really illustrates what encouragement is. Martin Luther was in one of these periods in his life. He'd locked himself in his study, shut the door for a few days at this point. So she dressed in all black, funeral attire, goes and knocks on his office door. She, Martin Luther gets up, answers the door, and is kind of shocked by her appearance, said, what's happened? And she told him, well, you're acting as if God has died, so I'm dressing for his funeral. And then turned around and walked away. He got the point. My attitude stinks and it needs to change. I need to start doing and being filled with joy, remembering my hope in the Lord. God is not dead. And he changed his attitude. That's the biblical encouragement idea. It always pushes you toward obedience, toward doing what you know you should do. I want to give some some, uh, passages, both in the Old and New Testament, that highlight this gift as well. And then we'll, we'll make some application. In the Old Testament, Psalm 42, 5 and 11 says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? How many of you have been there? Yeah. This psalm is beautiful because this is a self-encouragement, right? It's taking the promises of Scripture, using it to encourage yourself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my my God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Here's an encouragement pushing us on. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. That's biblical encouragement. Trust in the Lord. It's a positive command. 
And do not lean on your own understanding. There's a negative command, right? Don't trust in yourself. In the Old Testament, we have tons of examples of biblical encouragers. Moses, David, Solomon. Nearly every prophet in the Old Testament was a biblical encourager. When Israel would go wayward, what would the prophets come do? Come back, right? Come follow the Lord. That's biblical encouragement. Now, the problem was Israel was, was hardened in their heart. They were walking in pride, walking in rebellion. They didn't see that as biblical encouragement, but it was. In the New Testament, we again have many, many examples. Barnabas, you remember Barnabas in the book of Acts. Literally, his name was Joseph, but they named him Barnabas, which literally means son of encouragement. Barnabas was a biblical encourager. We're not going to read this passage, it's too long, but 1 Peter 5, verses 1-9, through 9, Peter just kind of, not vomits, but he just gives a ton of biblical encouragement to his, his readers. I just listed some of them. Here's some of the different uh, exhortations, encouragements he gives in that short little passage. Feed the flock, take oversight of the church, don't lord over God's people, be examples. Submit to each other. Humble yourselves under God's hand. Cast your cares on the Lord. Be sober-minded. Be vigilant. Resist the enemy. Take comfort in that your fellow Christians are struggling with the same things. All encouragements biblically. Okay. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5 with me, though. We'll look at this example. You guys know this passage well. It reads super quick. Because just like Peter, Paul just packs a ton in these short little verses. Beginning in verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, We urge you, brothers, and then he goes off on all these encouragements. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. And abstain from every form of evil. Those are all biblical encouragements to do something or not to do something, right? Pressing us on to better or further obedience. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 and 12, We hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, to earn their living. Okay, Jude chapter 3 gives us an encouragement. Beloved, although I was very eager... Did I say chapter 3? I'm in verse 3, sorry. It's only one chapter. You wouldn't find Jude chapter 3. Um, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write that you appeal, uh, to appeal to you that you contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. There's biblical encouragement. Hey, I wanted to just build you up in the faith, but I see it necessary. You need to be pushed on to fight for the faith. Contend. And he goes on because false teachers have crept in. So encouragers have a way of bringing truths to the forefront and helping us see them in a light that compels us to walk in them. It doesn't just focus on saying nice, kind, soft words to make you feel good. That's the worldly idea. Scratch that from your mind. Sometimes a biblical encourager in your life will get in your face and rebuke you when you need it. Recognize that that, that is encouragement. Sometimes we need that. 
And this is a compelling, wonderful gift when someone with it exercises it. They have a way of helping the church move forward in obedience, right? We need this so badly in our churches. Encouragers themselves are always eager themselves to walk after the Lord. You'll find biblical encouragers have a a hunger to want to know and follow God. That's just the nature of who they are. They want to know and follow the Lord. So this gift helps those in the body to have complete faith and obedience in the Lord. All of us can become complacent and need encouragement to take action. All of us have fallen short and need encouragement to get back up. All of us sustain wounds in this life and we need comfort. All of us become weary and we need to be strengthened. And all of us sin and need correction or rebuke. That's where this gift comes in. So for those with this gift, my encouragement to you is exercise it. Speak the truth in love to the body. When you see something amiss, when you see it falling short somewhere, when you see us being hearers of the word and not doers, say something. This is a speaking gift. We need to hear that. And the body needs to maintain a humility in its presence to receive that. Whether it's just a comfort, sometimes we just need a soft comfort, right? Sometimes we need a kick in the pants. But speak the truth in love. No area of truth is barred from the encourager to speak. When you start seeing this in Scripture, they speak to every issue in Scripture to encourage. Also be motivated by the examples that were given in Scripture. There's, there's tons and tons and tons of examples of what this gift looks like and how you can operate in it. Understand also that your commitment as an encourager is to the Lord, not to people. What do I mean by that? You are to edify the saints, but your commitment is to the Lord. When your commitment is to people first, you know what you'll tend to start doing? You'll start backing off hard truths because you don't want to fracture that relationship. When your commitment is to the Lord, you don't want to fracture that relationship. And if He commands you to go say something, you go say it. Whether this person receives it or not is not really up to you. You've done your job as an encourager to compel them onward. So your commitment is to the Lord first but it's for the edification of the saints. Don't ever let it be to the people first. Um, It's not that you're not committed to people. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, You can't always gauge how people will receive something you have to say, is my point. You are always to speak the truth in love. So the biblical gift of encouragement is very beautiful, very needed, um, badly in churches. We need people in our lives who aren't afraid. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you have someone in your life that you know would say something to you that needs to be said? And you know that it comes in love. Yeah? That's good. Don't get rid of those people. If you don't have someone who will speak to you directly, hard truths sometimes, if you don't have that person, find that person. You need this in your life. Every single one of us is prone to wander as we sing, right? We're prone to leave the Lord. And so a biblical encourager will help you stay on track. They'll speak the truth in love. And when they speak, it might be hard to hear, but you know they're saying it because they love you. Not because they're angry at you. Not because they hate you. None of that. So make sure you find someone in your life who can be a true biblical 
encourager to you. The second gift, um, this really is the longer gift that I want to speak on today. Back in Romans 12, is the gift, as ESV translates it, of contribution or giving. So let's talk about this gift. I think this gift, for me at least, uh, I see the heart of God in this gift. I love this. Now remember, the gifts of the Spirit are, are manifestations of who He is to the church. Okay, This is who the Spirit is to the church, being manifested through us. And so the gift of giving literally tells us something about the Spirit of God. He's generous. He loves giving. The word, there's a word in the Greek for give, didomai, which is not this word. It simply means to give. Why this is a, a spiritual gift is, is this is a compound word. Literally in the Greek, it's meta didomai. And the way you translate this, you're going to love it. Literally, it's translated super giver. That's how this is translated. So the one with the gift of giving is a super giver. Now, all of us are called to give, just as all of us are called to encourage, but some are spiritually empowered in a way that, that's just awesome. According to Paul, in other words, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul encourages every Christian, hey, sow bountifully so that you might reap bountifully. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. In 1 Corinthians 16, he says this, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, right? So all of us are encouraged to give. But God gives some of us to go beyond this and to be super givers. Now, again, I want to define what this is not. There's a definite carnal counterfeit. So this gift does not necessarily speak to how much is given. This might be the hardest for us to understand. This isn't speaking of amounts. Okay, The wealthy may give more than the poor and not be a super giver. The wealthy, as Jesus said in Luke 21, we can turn there, often give out of their excess, not out of their poverty. Go to Luke 21. Let's read this. In Luke 21, verse 1, we'll read through verse 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. It would actually be worth about a penny in our currency. He said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Now obviously it clues us in. Jesus is not looking at the amount given. He's looking at the quality with which it was given. What's he say? For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. In this account, the poor widow was a super giver. The rich were not. The rich were putting in large sums. She put in a penny. And Jesus says, super giver. You see that? Because she put in everything she had. Not only did she put in everything she had, she was a widow. What's that mean? She couldn't go home and let her husband earn an income. She had no one to go home to. She had nothing. Super giver. 
So this gift is not speaking necessarily about how much is given. Someone may give a lot. In other words, let let me say it this way. A rich person can be a miser, and a poor person can be a miser. You know what I mean by that? A rich person can have a love for money, but so can a poor person have a love for money. A rich person can be a super giver, and so can a poor person. Okay? This gift doesn't mean as well, as we often see in our culture, um, that you are to do it for the fanfare. Uh, you often see on TV the, the rich and powerful and the wealthy call a news conference, write out one of those three by five checks with their name front and center, right? And the amount that they're giving and smile for the camera. That's not at all what this gift is. In fact, that would repulse a super giver. Okay. Um, turn to Matthew chapter six. Let's read this. This gift does not at all seek to bring attention to themselves in that way. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. That's the praise of men. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So this gift is not seeking fanfare. It's not seeking attention. It's not seeking recognition. It doesn't care if anybody knows about it. In fact, it would prefer no one did. That's a super giver. That's the heart of a super giver. So let's now look at what this gift is. Back in Romans 12, there's a word that Paul uses in connection with this. It's really going to help us understand it. In Romans 12, 8, he writes, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes, we have the word in generosity. Maybe your Bibles say liberality. Uh, If you have the King James Version, it says simplicity. The word simplicity is really the root word of of what the idea is here. The etymology of the word came to mean liberally or generously. But the, the root of this idea is singleness of mind, singleness of motive. In other words, when you give, you have one motive for giving. Okay. I read a story... I love this story. So it's quick, but it's so awesome. Um, there's a man walking home. I think it was from church, and he's walking down dark streets, dark home. Um, and a man comes up, sticks a gun in his chest, and says, "Give me all your money." And this man, he was a super giver. He had the gift of giving, and he apologized to the robber or would-be robber. He says, "I'm sorry. I only have five dollars. Will you take a check?" <laughs> he had zero attachment in his heart to material things. And when the man said, give me all your money, well, I I, I need to get my checkbook. I'll be right back. That highlights this idea of being a super giver. You have no attachment in your heart to these material things. Paul wrote, he who gives, give with generosity. Um, So the root root meaning is, is singleness of mind, simplicity, 
And why do I say this? Why do I want to point this out? Because if you're honest with yourself, um, most, most of us like to think that we're generous, okay? Now, here's a good test for us to see if you have this gift or not. Most of us don't have one motive in giving. Most of us have two motives in giving, okay? Here they are. Our first motive is we do want to help meet a need. That's good. But most of us have a second motive that says something like this, but, but I want to make sure I leave enough in my bank account for me. See what I'm saying? I'm not going to dog that, but if that's your motives as you seek to give, you're not probably a super giver. The super giver says, hey, anything I have is yours. You need my shirt? You need my tunic? You need me to walk a second mile with you? You got it. Super giver has zero attachment to the material things they possess, and they would gladly give it if it could be of benefit. That's a super giver. Singleness of mind. This is wonderfully illustrated in the book of Acts. Let's go there real quick. Chapter 4 and 5. I mentioned Barnabas earlier. Barnabas was literally named son of encouragement, but I think Barnabas was also a super giver. Okay? Barnabas was a lot of things in the scripture. So in Acts chapter 4, begin reading in verse 32. Now this is a contrast. You'll see the singleness of motive in, this, in, of motive in this passage, and then the contrary in chapter 5. Now the full number, this is verse 32, Acts 4.32, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So in other words, there was apparently a bunch of spiritually equipped people in the early church to be super givers. Okay, None of them counted anything as their own. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold. That's super giving. And they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So there you have a picture of what super giving looks like. And then you have its antithesis in Acts 5. But... 5.1, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Now, what was it that Ananias was judged over? It was, it was this. Ananias wanted to appear to be a super giver, and he wasn't. Peter says, look, you could have sold that land and kept part of it back. It's yours. You can do what you want with it. But don't make it seem like you're giving everything when you're not. You're lying to the Holy Spirit, Okay. You're, you're, you've got a pretense about you. So there's the contrast. 
It's very clearly seen between Barnabas and Ananias. Giving with simplicity, giving with generosity means you have a single motive. No consideration of yourself in giving. It's giving with no strings attached. In other words, no matter what it may cost you. There's no strings attached. Go to, let's look at some Old Testament examples. Go to Exodus chapter 35. Exodus 35, begin in verse 30. So they're in the wilderness. God has gifted some men to be craftsmen for his tabernacle. Verse 30 says, Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezeel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and carving wood for work, and every skilled craft. And he's inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamech of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns, so on, okay? So God has naturally or spiritually um, equipped these men to be craftsmen. Those of you who are craftsmen know you got to have material to do the work, right? Where's the material going to come from? The people. So read in verse 36, verse 2 and following. Moses called Bezael and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up, come do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Now, church, that would be the day when I get up here and say, y'all need to stop tithing. We have more than enough to do, okay? That's literally what happened to this congregation. They had to be restrained from giving. They were super giving out of joy for what it was they were giving to. In the New Testament, there's many, many examples of supergivers. We just referenced Acts 4 in the whole church. In Acts chapter 2, we see it happening right after the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, 44 and 45 says this, All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. We see this in, in uh, John chapter 12 with Mary. Um, I know our men's small group is, is going through this. In verses 3 through 6, it's a very beautiful example of a super giver. It says, As Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance from the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? If you don't know how much that is, 300 denarii was almost an entire years worth of wages. One denarii was one day's wage. 
Pretty costly gift. And what did she do? Anointed our Lord. He thought it was a waste. Now he said this not because he cared about the poor. No. He said, let me back up. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put into it. So Judas Iscariot was definitely not a super giver. He was a super taker. The Macedonians is another beautiful example. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is a great passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. It says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Why is that impressive? Because the Macedonians were poor people, and they're begging to help relieve the strain on other churches. They gave according to their means. In other words, they couldn't give much, but Paul says, Look at this example. They gave beyond their means. True sacrifice. Why? Because they wanted to help the churches. Now, obviously, if you haven't made the connection yet, I think the greatest example of a super giver is Christ Jesus Himself. Okay? 2 Corinthians 8-9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Matthew twenty twenty eight. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ gave everything, even the glory of heaven, and bestowed upon us the riches of his grace and mercy. Jesus is the ultimate example of a supergiver reflected in the heart of God. When God wanted to express his love, his great love for mankind, what did he do? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So this is why I see the heart of God in this gift. I love it. I want to summarize some things and then I'm going to end with a couple examples of modern day people. How are we to give? The scripture actually has a lot to say about this. Now, I believe that a super giver will be characterized by all these, okay? We're all, like I said earlier, all encouraged to give, so these are instructive for us. I think super givers will definitely be this. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, we read last week. If we don't give out of love, it doesn't matter how much you give. You can give your very body to be burned in the fire and it won't profit you anything. So you must give with love. As we read earlier, you must give with singleness of mind. Your motive. You must give not bringing attention to yourself, as we read in Matthew 6. You must give willingly. We read that in Exodus 36, as well as the Macedonian church. They give it of their own free will. If you can't freely give it, don't give it at all, right? Hold on to it. I read one pastor who, uh, one of his listeners on the radio, um, took exception with some of his theological views, and so this listener thought he'd put this pastor in a trap. He sent him two checks. One a smaller amount, 
another with a large amount. The smaller amount was signed. The check with a large amount was unsigned. And this listener told the pastor, if you can answer all these questions of mine satisfactorily, then I'll sign that big check that I sent you. So this pastor very wisely sent both checks back and answered all the questions and said, I don't want your money. You keep it. But here's the answers. Okay? If you can't give it freely, if you want strings attached, don't give it. You must give it cheerfully, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, right? God loves a cheerful giver. If there's not joy in your heart in giving, don't give it. We don't ever want to compel people to give. That's manipulation, right? If you're guilted into giving, keep it. We don't need it. God is faithful to provide all of our needs. Um, you need to give honestly, contra Acts 5. Right? Don't put forward a pretense to, to make you look like something you're not. Be honest about it. In fact, Paul praises the Macedonians for giving out of their poverty. It's not about how much you give. It's about the quality with which you give. Freely, as we just said. Um, there's a good Proverbs with this. I did want to read Proverbs 11.24. I'll read it for you. In this connection with giving freely. See how the Lord blesses those who give freely. Proverbs 11.24 One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Right? One gives freely and grows all the richer. It goes contrary to human thinking. If I don't keep some back for me, I won't have. Contrary. When you give freely, the Lord will bless So what are we to give? Well, we're to give ourselves. We're to give our talents, our time. We're told to give praise and thanksgiving. And of course, money and goods as people have needs. So it's not all about the money. I want to end with a couple quick examples of some missionaries that I've read about. One short one, then I'm going to read a portion of uh, another one's biography for you. There's a young man who was a early 20s when he became a missionary named William Borden. This is at the turn of the century in the 1900s. Both his mother and father came from very wealthy English aristocratic families. And so this man was born literally with the silver spoon in his hand. Um, If you know much about the turn of the century, D.L. Moody, men named R.A. Torrey, were going all over the world evangelizing William Borden came under the influence of R.A. Torrey, who pushed him to lay down everything for the Lord, whatever it might cost him. So he did. He was training to become a missionary in China, had actually gone over there to study under a certain man. Um, But while he was over there training, getting ready to go to the Muslims in China, he contracted cerebral meningitis and died at a young age. But before he had died, he'd made in his will stipulation that upon his death, because he needed a will because he was so wealthy, upon his death, everything he owned was to be given to Christian ministries he'd been a part of. China Inland Mission, Moody Bible Institute, and others. And so it was given. But here's what was said of him at his funeral. I want you to listen to this. The man, the man that he'd been studying under said this, by some... The victory has to be won over poverty. But Borden won the victory over an environment of wealth. 
He felt that life consisted not in the abundance of things that a man possesses, but in the abundance of things which possess the man. What a great statement. The Lord Jesus Christ possessed that man's heart fully, and he had all he needed with that. One of my favorite missionaries to read about was a man named C.T. Studd. He was a contemporary of Hudson Taylor, who you, you guys know I quote a lot. I love reading Hudson Taylor. He was a contemporary of George Mueller, who we have over here in our books. C.T. Studd also came from a very, very wealthy family. Um, in fact, his inheritance, um, he estimated, this was in the 1880s, was what would have been the equivalent today of several hundred thousand dollars that he was about to inherit from his father. And upon his father's death, there's 29,000 British pounds is what he estimated. Um, and here's what his biography states when he received his inheritance. January 13, 1887. C.T. Studd sent off four checks of 5,000 pounds each and then five checks of 1,000 pounds. Now, I know it's hard because we don't deal with pounds, but... It's a lot of money he's sending out with these four checks, uh, tens of thousands of dollars at a time he's writing. Okay, And he wrote these checks as coolly and deliberately as a businessman who invests in some guilt-edged security. But C.T. invested in the bank of heaven. And this was no fool's plunge on his part. It was his public testimony before God and before man that he believed God's word to be the surest thing on earth. And that the hundredfold interest which God had promised in this life, and not to speak of the next, is an actual reality for those who believe it and act on it. So I want to read where he sent those checks to. He sent 5,000 pounds to Mr. Moody, expressing the hope that he would be able to start some gospel work in North India, where C.T.'s father had made his fortune. And Moody, D.L. Moody, hoped to carry that out, but wasn't able. So what Moody did was he took the 5,000 pounds and started a training institute in Chicago, which you guys know to be Moody Bible Institute today. Still a working training facility. He sent 5,000 pounds to George Mueller, both for his missionary work as well as helping the orphanages that Mueller ran. You can read all about that with Mueller's biography. Incredible. He sent 5,000 pounds to a man named George Holland to be used for the Lord among the poor in London. He sent 5,000 pounds to the Salvation Army for their work going on in India. The five checks for 1,000 pounds were sent to different individuals just to help them. One Lady McPherson, one Miss Ellen Smiley, General William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, and then his pastor, Archibald Brown, and then one Dr. Bernardo, who had an orphanage home as well. Several months, though, after he sent all this money out, C.T. Studd discovered his exact inheritance, of which he had more than he thought. So what did he do? Can you guess? Starts writing checks again. I love this. He had 3,400 pounds left to his name, of which he and his wife distributed to various other people and different causes. When they had given all of their money away, he and his wife packed up and went to Africa as missionaries for the rest of their life. Now let's summarize what C.T. Studd was enabled to help fund. He contributed to the China Inland Mission, which today, if you go to China, many Chinese Christians still say that Hudson Taylor is their spiritual father. Still going on today. He contributed to George Mueller's orphanages. 
He contributed to establishing multiple Salvation Army extensions all over the world. And he helped contribute almost fully to the establishing of the Moody Bible Institute, still training men and women today. This is a gift that keeps giving, right? In other words, there's no telling how many tens of thousands, perhaps millions of people, this super giver, C.T. Studd, has influenced through his giving. Tens of thousands at a minimum, if not millions of people, directly tied to this man's generosity. That's the blessing of a super giver. Zero concern for their earthly possessions. It's just as easy to give a dollar as 10000 for them. It's just as easy. That's the blessing of a super giver. So that, as I said, reflects, in my opinion, the heart of God. He gives freely and he gives liberally to us. He's given us the riches of his grace and mercy. Let's call the worship team back up and we'll close with a song. Let me close in prayer. Father God, as we go out singing about the inheritance that awaits us as Christians, our home in heaven, help us to set our mind on things above and not on things of the earth. As you exhort us, encourage us to store up our treasures in heaven. Father, where neither rust nor moth can eat them away. Father, help us to discover if this perhaps is one of our gifts. It's not about how much we are able to give. It's about the quality, the singleness of mind and motive by which we're able to give. Father, I pray you equip this church in this way. I pray you build up and and, and, um, equip people to be encouragers, biblical encouragers for us, Lord. We need to be pushed on to greater obedience, Father. We need comfort at times. We need admonishment. We need teaching. Sometimes we just need a companion. We need that biblical encourager in our life in this body, Father. So if there's those here who think they're, they're gifted in those ways, Lord, I pray they t- test the water by trying to exercise those gifts and see if it's so. See if you are fruitful through it, Lord. We thank you for saving us and giving us inheritance that's undefiled, unfading, will never perish, waiting in heaven for us. We pray in Christ's name.